0: Welcome to Apostolic Anthesis. I'm Pastor Joshua Arend.
1: And I am Jody Thomas.
0: We are so glad to be back in the studio for episode six. And our topic today is what happens when you die. This is hopefully going to be an exciting topic. And we know that there are many different views on what happens when a person dies. I think our last recording was in November.
1: November, yeah.
0: So before the had, holidays
1: got crazy, before you became a grandpa.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I am a grandpa now. Little baby Carson Leon Van Dorn. Woo-hoo. Um, he is a doll. But So we've had quite a break, and we've been asked by many people when we would resume. And so tonight is the night, and we are excited to talk about what happens when we die. So let's jump right in here. So the question is, where do we go when we die? There's multiple views on this. Um, we're, we're only going to focus on some of the more popular ones. So number one, when we die, people think we will go to heaven.
1: Everyone goes to heaven, right? <laughs> uh,
0: well, you know, all dogs go to heaven. <laughs> right. So I don't know about people. Um, then, you know, some people think we go to heaven, number one. Number two, some people think we go to hell when we die. Then Another popular belief is they believe when you die, you go to purgatory. Now here, we're going to get into two terms. The fourth would be soul sleep. People think that when you die, you are in a state of sleep, a state of unconsciousness until we're resurrected. So that's called soul sleep. And then the fifth place that is believed where we go is called, we'll call it soul awake. I'm not sure that that's an official term, but we're going to use it for the sake of this podcast. And soul awake means that the physical body will stay in the ground or, you know, dust to dust. Mm -hmm. So it'll stay in whatever form of dust you were when you died. And then the soul body is awake. So we have when you die, people think you go to heaven, go to hell, purgatory, soul sleep, and soul awake. So as we dive in here, let's look at the biblical definition of what a soul is. So to begin with, I guess most people think that a soul is kind of a shadow of us, like a like a ghost form. Maybe, I always
1: thought it was, I guess maybe I was always taught, I don't know that I always thought, but that your soul was like the spiritual side okay. of you. You know, like you had a physical body, your human form. Then you had your soul, which was, you know, the spiritual side of things. Which I know is probably not totally accurate, but
0: well, it's it's quite confusing (laughs) because they'll they'll say there's you know there's body, soul, Mm -hmm. and spirit, right? Yeah, and that's really confusing. And totally honest with you, I really, I mean, I I kind of get the difference between a soul and and we'll, we'll cover that here a little bit between soul and spirit, but. When you're just talking in generalities or you're talking to your family or your friends right. or, or you're just talking to people about the Lord spirit and soul in the general sense is kind of the same thing
1: interchangeable a little yeah, bit. yeah. Now if
0: you're talking to somebody that wants to get technical and stuff okay but for the for the right. the average conversation soul and spirit's kind of the same thing mm-hmm. you know and most people like I said they think it's 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 like the ghost form of us or like the invisible us a transparent <laughs> us right like right. you go through walls so let's look at the first place soul is mentioned in the bible and that's in genesis 2 verse 7 and this is what the scripture says and the lord god formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of a life and man became a living soul the biblical definition of what a soul is is when god took dirt And the breath of life and combine them, it says man became a living soul. So the biblical definition of a soul
1: is a living.
0: Is a living thing with the breath of life, the breath from God, Mm -hmm. and dirt. Now, the Hebrew word, you know, for for living soul is Nepos. Okay, And, and I'll list these but or We'll read through them here. Genesis 1, 20, 21, and 24. Now, this is where people are going to be like, what? <laughs> because the same word, nepos, that is used for man that we read in Genesis 2, 7, man became a living soul, right? Right. In in the Hebrew, that means man became a nepos. That's, nepos is the word that is used for soul in Hebrew, but the Lord the Bible uses nepis when it refers to animals. So Genesis one twenty here says, and God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. The word living there is nepis. The same word used for man is used for those in the water swimming. And let birds fly above, Genesis one twenty one. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. Living there again is mm-hmm. nepis. It's the same word used for man. And we know that the, the dirt and the breath equals Nepus, a living soul. And Genesis one twenty four, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. Living there again is nepos. So this is, this is what most people don't think. When the Bible's talking about a soul, it's talking about the breath of life from God into the dust that he created them from. And I'm going to show you a couple more scriptures that might shock some people. So a soul is a living creature made of dirt and the breath of God. Mm-hmm. Now, now watch this. Genesis seven fourteen. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock. So we're talking about animals here. According to their kinds and every creeping thing according to its kind and every bird according to its kind and every winged creature. So now we're talking about the livestock. We're talking about birds. We're talking about you know, snakes, we're right. talking about everything, right? Right. Genesis seven fifteen. they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. So here, the Bible tells you that the breath of life, which he said in Genesis 2, 7, right, about man... God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So man has the breath of life. And then we read in Genesis 7, 15, that the breath of life was also put within creatures and animals. Animals, yep. And that is why when the Bible uses the word nepos with man, he uses it with animals too. Because it seems to imply that a soul, whether... A living soul, sorry, whether it's mankind or now or it's animals, is the matter that they're made of with the breath of life. Now, I am in no way saying that an animal or a creeping thing soul is on the same level as our soul. I'm not saying that.
1: All dogs do go to
0: heaven. <laughs> All, yeah, my <laughs> daughter, if she's <laughs> if she ever listens to this, she's going to be pumped about that.
1: Right.
0: But so I'm not saying we're on the same.
1: Right, level is them. Right. But I'm
0: saying biblically it looks like when the bible refers to a living soul what that is implying and speaking of is the breath from god into a substance from the earth that he's formed whether it's an animal in the ocean or livestock or or human, right? Right. So So
1: it's really any living thing. Correct. Yeah, okay.
0: So the whole body, the the diff- the the whole trifecta, body, soul, spirit it is very complicated, and there is room for debate. We need to be a little careful, and, and I try to be when we're saying, you know, this is a soul, this is a spirit. It's very complicated, and, it, it, and so it's just, I try to just be careful. Like, I don't, if I'm speaking to somebody and they call a, a spirit a soul and a soul a spirit, like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to split hairs and, and get into that. <laughs> but I just, in, this, in the topic today, what happens when we die? First, we need to know that a soul is the dust of the ground and the breath of, of life, life from God. That's a living soul. Now that we've got that kind of out of the way, so let's look at some of the beliefs we mentioned earlier of what happens at the very moment we die. We have the soul sleep doctrine, which, as we say before, this is when people, if you believe the soul sleep doctrine, you believe that as believers... They will go into kind of a deep sleep. They'll be unconscious unconscious until the second coming of Christ. And, you know, I was watching a little thing, and a guy was saying that, that this was taught by the Anabaptists at the Reformation. He also brought out that it was taught by the Urbanites in England in the 19th century. So it, it's, kind of, it's kind of a very closed-off belief, but it does have some substance to it. And so... There's, there's some, there's some good scriptures that point to this.
1: I feel like, I feel like this is more popular than we, I mean, maybe not in the term of soul sleep, but the whole idea that when you die, you're buried and you're there until the second coming. Sure. Like, you know, I feel like that's more popular because I've heard people talk about this. Like, well, you're just there until, you know, God calls you home. Right. You know,
0: it's and we're going to pull out some scriptures that it's going to provoke thought on a lot of these stances before we get into the soul awake doctrine, though, I want to talk about purgatory. I know that most of the people who listen to this podcast are probably, um, apostolic Pentecostals or, you know, of, of the, the Protestant, uh, way of thinking and not so much Catholicism, but there's purgatory and what purgatory is is, this is um, a belief mainly within the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and they believe that your soul, when you die, goes to purgatory to be further purified from sin before you can go to heaven. When you die, your soul goes to purgatory, where because it's not good enough yet to get into heaven, where people can, can say, Hail Mary's for you. They can you know, and, and I'm not going to, I don't know too much of the Catholic thing. I just know a little bit about it. But people can, can make atonement, try and make atonement for you.
1: So people are making atonement for you because obviously if you're dead, you can't make yourself right. Right. I've never understood purgatory. And sometimes that's like
0: give money. Like if you, you know, if a, if a, if a, a relative who is still alive um, is wealthy, you know, if they give, you know, a couple grand more to the church, that their sacrificial giving of finance of their finances can atone for some sins that the good deed that they're doing on earth will help to replace the evil deed that the loved one who's dead did and is waiting in purgatory. That's, that's purgatory, Mm. which I don't believe in purgatory.
1: I don't either. Well, and that's what I, I mean, I don't want to bash someone else's beliefs, but I, I personally have never understood the idea of purgatory Yeah, like, you know, because I've heard people that, you know, that do believe in purgatory where, you know, a soul is there for years and it's like, at what point are they okay to now go?
0: Yeah. You know, and they get that from, you know, there's, there's some books that are not in the Bible, but are regarded, um, you know, as, respectable books with integrity. And it's like, like first second Maccabees and they pull it from Maccabees that there was a, there was some verses in Maccabees that it it talks about a man who goes and gives a lot of money to help atone for the sins of his loved ones. And so from there, they kind of stem the doctrine of purgatory, but it's quite a stretch. Yeah. So for the sake of this podcast, we're pretty much going to move on from purgatory and move into now the soul awake doctrine. And what this is, is when a believer dies, the soul keeps the conscience and is awake, but the body stays in the grave. So the soul body goes to heaven and the physical body, the natural body, stays in the grave or in whatever kind of death they experienced. So if, if they were a sailor who died at war or they were buried at sea, you know, their body's in the sea. So that is soul awake, and then at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the soul body, which is in the presence of the Lord, is reunited with the physical body, and that would be the resurrection. That is, the, in essence, the doctrine of soul awake. So the beliefs towards unbelievers are typically if somebody's an unbeliever or they weren't a good person, they will go to hell or Hades for all eternity. Some people think they will cease to exist. That's the doctor doctrine of annihilationism. Um, that means that they will go to a place to suffer for a determined amount of time. And then they will cease to exist after that appointed time,
1: depending on how bad they were.
0: Possibly. um,
1: I mean, it's not the same some, determined time for everyone. Maybe? Well,
0: I think I think it's more along the lines that when you're suffering, you don't suffer as bad. Like if you were a, a decent person but not saved, you're still going to suffer, but maybe not as bad as somebody who was a horrible person. But I think the time is the same. And, okay. But I could be wrong about that because okay. I'm I'm not all too familiar with annihilationism.
1: I've never heard of it either.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, it's got some merit, hmm. but. That'll have to be for for another time.
1: Another time, yeah. So
0: what I want to get into now is kind of the evolution here of the state of the soul body. And there's two parts to this. There's the pre-ascension and post-ascension. What this means is the Bible before the death of Jesus on the cross, this is pre-ascension. Right. And once Jesus arises from the grave and ascends into heaven, that's post-ascension. Now, we're going to get into a lot of scripture that's, going to really show, in my opinion, there is two different things that happen to believers before, cross, the, before the cross, before Calvary, and what happens after Calvary. So we're going to go to the story. We're going to open with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And this is found in the book of Luke, the 16th chapter, um, verses 19 through 31. We're going to read here. Luke 16 verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores. Verse 21, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in the like manner, his bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you might not be able to, and none might cross from there to us. Verse 27, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. There's a couple things I want to point out right now. And many of you might know this. There are parables in the Bible in all the parables in the Bible, Jesus never names people. In this story here, we see that Lazarus, the poor man, is named. Right. We see Abraham's name. We see that Abraham speaks of Moses. So we actually have people in this story who are named, who are identified. Therefore, it is the popular, and, and my belief— That this is not a parable.
1: This is, yeah. This this is is a true
0: story. We need to look at some things in this true story. Number one, this story is being told by Jesus. So he has not yet died on the cross. So this is pre-ascension story. And he's talking about what happens here. Let's look at some things. So Abraham's side is where Lazarus went. And we see there that in verse 16, or sorry, chapter 16, 25 of Luke, it says, but he's now comforted. So we know that in Abraham's side, sometimes it's called Abraham's bosom, it's a comforted place. So it's not The, the rich man, it says in verse 24, it says, I'm in anguish in this flame.
1: Flame, yeah.
0: So we see that. In this time of death, they have both died, Lazarus and the rich man, and they are awake. Number one, their conscience is awake. They're having a discussion. They're talking. Yeah. Now, they're talking and they can see one another. So the rich man who is in Hades here, which we know is a place of flame and and anguish, and the poor man, Lazarus, is in a place of comfort with Abraham but yet they're able to talk more so the conscience of the rich man he understands that he messed up his life and he begins to ask Abraham to go back to his family, family on earth yeah. so he has recognition of his family who are still living when he's dead
1: so if you think of this in a in the terms of a real story versus thinking of it, oh, that's just a parable. It's like, you know, some something that wasn't true. It's just a, a teaching point. That's two very different things here. Correct. Two very different things here.
0: And it's very important to know whether this right. is a parable or if this is a real story. Because if
1: this is a real story, which I agree, I think it is, then this would almost seem to support the soul awake. Soul awake Correct. Where... Their bodies are dead, but their conscious and their soul are aware, and they're having a conversation, and they know what's happening to them. Right. Like, they both recognize that they are dead.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. And, again, this is one of the only stories where people are named. Right. All the other parables, Jesus never named anybody. Right. He would say there was a ruler, or there was you know, there was a man man or a a woman or, you know, a a man is walking through the field and he finds a hidden treasure. So he goes, but it doesn't give the name of the man. This names people. And so much so, it even gives the response in verse 29, Abraham is giving an intelligent response here. A, he, I mean, Abraham's identified. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. So he's quoting, like, or he's referencing things that have actually taken place for Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament, right. did preach to the people, right. did prophesy to the people. So he's referring a timeline events that actually occurred.
1: So like in today's society, this is verifiable events. Yeah. This is... This is, you know, so, name and names.
0: Right. So there there's 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 a lot of things if we slow down and we 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 dissect this that we can really pull from this. And and one of the things I thought of this, and I have never thought of this, Joey, I've never thought of this in my life, but but get this, right? So the rich man has everything he, he wants, right? And mm-hmm. Lazarus is look at verse nineteen, our opening verse. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man, Lazarus, covered with sores, okay? So the dynamic here is one man's rich, one man is a beggar, right? Right. So when they die, okay, verse 21, let's read this. Who desired, so this is talking about Lazarus, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs even came and licked his swords. So they die in verse 22. Verse 23, it says, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, this is the, the, the rich man, and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. Now this is, he sees Lazarus who used to sit at his gate begging for food. He to Lazarus. Right? Mm-hmm. And this is, this is something powerful God spoke to me. And he calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish of this flame. Here's something I'd never seen in my life. This man died and he's begging for mercy. And a lot of things about this, the state of this man changed, but something that didn't change is this man's heart. Because this man, still in Hades or hell, that's a synonymous term, right? In hell, this man is still treating Lazarus like he's the slave, like he's the servant. He's asking Abraham to, once again, you send the servant, you know, he doesn't use the word servant, but his attitude does. Right. His He's assuming, you please send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue. What he's saying is...
1: I'm in pain. Right, his heart,
0: even in hell. Yeah. And that's what I mean. When you die, it's over, and the heart can't change. Right. If it can change, it didn't in this situation, because this man, even whether he's probably not even... He's not even subconsciously thinking about this, but he's treating Lazarus like he did on the earth. Boy... Fetch me some water. Right.
1: Well, even in verse twenty-seven, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house again. Sending Lazarus.
0: Right. Like he's the servant. To go. Right. right. Like your he's... messenger boy. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you're you're you don't have power over Lazarus anymore. You're done. Right. And he's still treating it like send Lazarus to do my bidding. You know. And and I know we're stretching a little bit, but I had never seen this before. He's not very. I mean, I know he's sorrowful, and he's he's because he's in the flame, well, but his heart
1: because he's in the flame. <laughs>
0: his speech, his speech betrays him. So right. I just, I just thought that was a little, you know, I don't know, a little thing the Lord showed me. So another example I want to move on to here is Saul and Samuel. And if you're listening, this is probably going to be a longer podcast. Just you probably already know by looking at the timestamp when you when you press play. But we're not going to really rush through this. You can you can push pause and go do your thing, or come back to it days after. But we really want to do this. Um, throughout. So Saul and Samuel, another great story of, of where we're going here. First Samuel, the book of first Samuel chapter 28 and verse 11 through 19. Let's read here. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, "'Do not be afraid. What do you see?' And the woman said to Saul, "'I see a god coming out of the earth.' And he said to her, "'What is his appearance?' And she said, "'It's an old man is coming up.' And he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed his face to the ground, and he paid homage. And then Samuel said to Saul, "'Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up?' And Saul answered, "'I am in great distress.' For the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by the prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. And the Lord gave the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Right out the gate, let me say that there are many people, not many people, there is a group of people that feel that this, this ghost or this spirit that is conjured up from the dead is a devil who's lying to be Samuel. It's not really Samuel before Saul. I will say this. I've, I've put a lot of thought into that, and I, I, I believe this really is Samuel. And there's two defining things of why I believe that this is Samuel. Now, the people who say it's not, they're, they're saying because... You know, it says, I see like a God, you know, verse 13, I see a God coming out of the earth, you know, and they're thinking, oh, Yeah, that's, but
1: that's the woman's interpretation. Right, correct. That's not Samuel saying he's a God. Right. And can I just say, twenty eight fifteen? he summons Samuel to tell me what to do. Oh, if it was only that easy. <laughs>
0: right. But, the, but they think that there, there's, and there's some other points that they make, but here's the two things I think that really crush that. Number one is... I have not found in the Bible anywhere a spirit can tell the future as far as, you know, they can use educated guesses and they can, they know the scripture. But I don't see anywhere in the scripture where a demonic spirit can prophesy or tell the fortune of like a specific time and a specific event will happen. Right. And if you look... In verse 19 here, Samuel says to him, Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also to you in the hand. And tomorrow, this is prophecy, pointed specifically. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. There's no demon that I've seen, no example in the Bible of a demon being able to do this, to speak a specific event, because this happened, Saul died the next day. But Samuel prophesies this. And... In verse fourteen, the second point, which I think solidifies it actually being, it says Saul knew that it was Samuel, and you say, well, yeah, it could have been, it could have lied to them. My point is this: I know of nowhere in the Bible, and I guess we probably wouldn't, where a character is represented in a story falsely without being identified to the reader. Right. This Bible, this verse here. Implies that Saul knew it was Samuel, so the reader would know that it was Samuel. It's not trying to allow us to just read and us. The Bible is not presenting a story that happened, like with this being a demonic spirit, as Samuel, and it doesn't, and it ignores Make telling the clear. reader. It would tell us, right, even right. if he was tricked. Right. Because that's what the Bible does, right? When the Lord says, I'll send a lying spirit, and a lion spirit piped up and said, I'll do it. Like right. you're told that it was a lying spirit. But here people are, I think they're really reaching to try to prove um, soul sleep. And here we see Saul is able to consciously, even though he's, he's conjured, but he, he talks to Saul, Samuel, I'm sorry, is conjured. And he speaks to Saul and he's telling Saul all that, you know, he says, you didn't listen to me. So there's this conscious understanding of what's going on in the earth. He says, you didn't listen to me, and God did what he spoke by me. So Samuel is even referencing the prophecy that God used him towards right. King Saul. Right. And, and so, he's
1: consciously aware of where he is. Right. You shall be with me. Right. So he so, knows they're going to die.
0: Yep. And he tells them, he tells King Saul, you and your sons are going to be with me. With me means what? There's, there's got to be a waiting place. Now we saw in the rich man and Lazarus that there is Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. Right. And there is Hades and Hell. So but they but they were able to be together, right? Even because they were speaking. So right. for Saul to say, or Samuel to say to Saul, You're going to be with me, is is would fit the understanding that if Samuel was in Abraham's side in Abraham's bosom, that when Saul, who, you know, tried to commit suicide and then was killed, if he went to Hades, they're still with each other because they can see each other and talk, right? right? We see that by the rich man and right, Lazarus. right? So we know that there is a waiting place before the cross. Samuel is in it and he tells Saul that him and his sons would join him. So scripturally, we see that, okay? Mm-hmm. So now I want to talk a little bit about Sheol, Hades, and the, the abyss. Um, when the Bible talks about Sheol, that is the Hebrew word for you know a pit, the abyss. And when the Bible uses the word Hades, that's the Greek equivalent um, for the abyss. So Sheol is the Hebrew word for the abyss. Hades is the Greek word for the abyss. And the abyss just means like a bottomless pit, right? Right. Isaiah 14, 15 says, but you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. So we know Sheol is kind of like down, right? The far reaches of the pit. So speaking to the bottomless pit. Ezekiel 31, 15 says, Thus says the Lord God, On the day the cedar went down to Sheol, I caused mourning. I closed the deep over it and restrained its rivers, and many waters were stopped. I clothed Lebanon in gloom for it, and all the trees of the field fainted. Verse 16 of the 31st chapter of Ezekiel, listen to this. I made the nations quake at the sound of its fall, when I cast it down to Sheol. So Sheol is down and things are cast right. to it. And those who go down to the pit. So this is identifying Sheol as the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice lumber and all drink were comforted in the worlds below. So there's comfort also. Luke 10:15, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Question mark. You shall be brought down to Hades. So Ezekiel's Old Testament, that's Hebrew, They use the word Sheol. Luke, New Testament, Greek. They use the word Hades. Revelation, rise up. Yeah. Check this out. Revelations 9, 1. This will be in Greek, right? And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. So there's a key, okay? Okay. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun were all, and the air were all darkened, the smoke from the shaft. So here we see that there's a key to the bottomless pit. That's the abyss, and in the abyss there's a great furnace. Right, flames. We already saw that with the rich man. Yeah. Yep. Smoke. The sun and air were darkened. Okay. So we're already we're already seeing that Sheol, Hades, the abyss. It's all one, and in there is a great furnace. So there's flames. It's it's hot. There's there's It's darkness, there's smoke, and there's a key to it. So somebody can have power over it. Revelation 17, 8, this is where we go. The beast that you saw was and is not is about to rise from the bottomless pit. There's a beast going to rise out of the bottomless pit, meaning it's below, and go to destruction on the earth. So it's just more info about the abyss. And then 2 Peter 2.4, we're still talking about, you know, Sheol, Hades, and Abyss. It's all interchangeable here. 2 Peter 2.4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. Now, Jude 6, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So this gloomy darkness mentioned in Jude 6 and the chains of the gloomy darkness in 2 Peter, right, mm-hmm. are, are mentioned there when we read in Revelations 9-2, the sun and air were darkened. So there's a gloominess, right? And they're, they're in chains and there's a key. Now, I want to say a disclaimer here. This next part of this is speculation. I cannot prove that this exists, and I'm not really saying it did happen this way, but this is food for thought because there's people who think this and believe this. That the angels, that it's referring to in 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6, it says, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains. So there's angels in there committed to chains. Yeah. And in Jude 6, it says... The angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. Now we know, and we'll get to a verse, the devil and his goons are not in chains. Right. So this cannot be them. Right. So this is a select group of angels that have fallen that are are in chains right now in Sheol, Hades, hell, you know, the bottomless pit.
1: Tried to rise up.
0: This is what some speculate those angels are. These are the angels, according to people, back in Genesis 6... 1 through 4 When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them the sons of God that's the angels here saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose and the Lord said my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh and his days shall be 120 years the nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterwards when the Son of God came into the daughters of man, they bore children to them. These are the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. I've so, heard this. Correct.
1: Angels having relations with women on earth, yeah.
0: Produce giants as their offspring. Giant, yep, yep,
1: I've and heard so this.
0: There are people that think that God got really angry at this because this was not to be. And those angels, which Jude 6 says, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling they say is referring to these angels these angels who were stationed by god or were had boundaries like you know it calls right like the prince of the air right right they went too far and god said now you're done and he threw them into the bottomless pit and he bound them up so luke so again i'm the, the disclaimer I'm not saying that's 100% legit, but it is a working theory.
1: Yeah, it has merit.
0: I guess study that on your own a little bit. The devil and his goons, and I wrote goons, yes, in my notes, are not (laughs) currently the ones locked up in the abyss. And I'll show you by scripture, Luke 8, 30, right? Jesus then asked them, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. So this is remember Jesus gets on a boat, he sails across the right. Galilee, he comes to Genesrat, and there's a demon possessed man, right? Right. That comes running up to him, and Jesus is talking to Legion, which is demons. So these demons are in this man. So they're not in the abyss locked up. No. In fact, thirty-one tells you they beg him, to saying, not "Send them there. Don't send us into right, the abyss." Right. So they probably know they got some cousins down there locked up, and they're like. Please don't send us into the abyss like you did our offspring. Now, they didn't say like you did our offspring. I added that, but that's...
1: Right. Okay,
0: so we right. know... So then let's, let's look when the devil actually does enter the, the abyss. Revelations 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, beholding in his hand the key, right, to the bottomless pit. We already talked about it. And a great chain. Now it's the devil's time. And he seizes the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and binds him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit. That's the abyss. And shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Satan is not cast yet into hell. Mm -mm. And he's not yet chained up. But yet, like we read in Peter and Jude, there apparently are angels already in the abyss, the bottomless pit, who are chained up. And again, that might be the ones that took it a little too far and messed with with things they should not have done. During the pre-ascension state, this is before Calvary. I want to read one last verse here and we'll move into post-ascension. John 3.13. This is what the Lord says to Nicodemus. No one, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. What he's saying here is nobody has ascended. Not Abraham, not David, not Elijah, not Moses. Nobody has ascended. And this is the words of Jesus. Right. Jesus is saying nobody has went up yet because Jesus is now in the flesh here and he's walking the earth and he has not yet died on Calvary. So this is a very clear scripture that nobody has went up there. And again, this supports Abraham's side, the waiting place. Yeah. It supports that.
1: Right. Your soul awake in that middle waiting place. Right. So that negates the people that think that immediately when you die, you are... In heaven.
0: But this is pre-ascension. This is all the people before Calvary. Right. So this is the Old Testament people.
1: Right, right, right,
0: right. So now let's move into the post-ascension intermediate state. This is what the Bible says happens once Jesus has ascended. But there's one important thing to note here whether pre-ascension or post-ascension, nothing changes for the unbelievers or the unrighteous, okay? This is only for the faithful. After his death, Matthew 12, 40. So after his death, Jesus went what the Bible calls the heart of the earth. So where's the heart? Inside, right? Mm -hmm. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be 3 days and 3 nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus dies and he's going to go when the Lord dies and he's put into that tomb. He goes down to Abraham's side and begins to preach. Acts 2:27. Now this is a prophetic this is a messianic prophecy that is repeated here in Acts 2. And it's talking about Jesus. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Meaning Jesus' soul would not be stuck or left in Hades, this place of waiting. Mm-hmm. Romans 10, stay with me, Romans ten six. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So it's showing you that there is an ascension to heaven and a descension into the abyss. Mm-hmm. So the abyss is down; Jesus is up. Revelations 1:18. And the living one, I died, and behold. I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades.
1: So there's the key.
0: And this is the Lord. He's talking about himself. This is Jesus here. Revelation 118. Jesus is the living one. He says, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. The Lord, you know, the key that was given to the angel. locked. The Lord's holding that key. He went down there. Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore, it says, this is talking about Jesus. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Insane that he ascended, that we just did, right? In verse 8. Right. Insane. Even those words, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended, Jesus, is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. When the Lord died, he descended. I don't know what he preached, but here's the thing. Abraham, Moses, David, and all of them were waiting For the blood to be shed on Calvary to forgive their sins. At this point, their sins had only been atoned for. Right. And they were waiting for a price to be paid that would... Because here's the thing. Nobody can ascend into heaven because we have sin. But if the sin is paid for, we can go. And when Jesus died, he paid the price. And it says he went down and preached. And he preaches to the, like, what did he, I'm, now this is speculation. <laughs> what did he preach to Abraham and them? Did he say, I've right. done it. I shed my blood on Calvary. I have now paid the price. Everything we preach to, to sinners, he was preaching to these people waiting to go, is, is what I, I think happened. And when he ascend, it says that he, he, that he led a host of captives. Now it uses the word captive, and you're thinking, well, how's a captive? Look, if you're in Abraham's side, even though you're comforted, You're not in the presence of God. It's still a form of captivity, even though it's not like a jail here, right? But it's still captivity. After he fulfills his mission down there, he takes those in Abraham's bosom. And I believe then this is where he moves them into paradise, which is in heaven and with himself. Because everybody, you're going to hear people think that Abraham's side and bosom is paradise, but when the Bible refers to paradise, it always refers to things that are in heaven. So Luke 23 to 43, right? This is the thief on the cross with him. Jesus says to him, truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Because the Lord knew what he was getting ready to go do. Right. Second Corinthians 12, 1. This is Paul. He says, I, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. That's, that's heaven. The first heaven is the, the sky, the clouds. The second heaven in, in this is the, the stars, the universe. Yeah. And the third heaven is, is what you'd say is heaven. Whether in body or out of the body, I do not know. Check verse 3. And I know... That this man was caught up into paradise. paradise. So we know paradise is in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. Okay. Revelations 2.7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So paradise is when it's referred to in the New Testament, is always in, 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 heaven, in heaven, not right. in the heart of the earth. So th- that's a little explanation of, of where people went when they died pre-ascension and then where people were allowed to go into paradise post-ascension once Jesus was raised from the grave.
1: So Jesus took those in Abraham's bosom to heaven with him when he rose.
0: Yes. Because the blood had been shed. Right. And now the price they of was paid. They were able to go. Was paid. Right, right. Whether he moves Abraham's bosom into paradise. Or, well. Or if he just collapses that place of waiting down there. Or if it's just vacant and everybody went into a paradise. I don't know. You know, I mean. Right.
1: I mean, it says he took with them captives, So he, to me, that translates to he took them with him.
0: Right. So now that we know a little bit about where a believer went as far as before the cross and after the cross, I want to circle back a little bit here on, and we we talked about it like, like purgatory, right? Right. What does the Bible say about purgatory? Uh, Nothing.
1: Absolutely nothing. Yeah.
0: It was created, you know, from the Roman Catholic church. I I put in my notes here, it is second Maccabees 12, uh, verses 42 through 45, it, it's how this is where they pull it. Judas Maccabeus, the leader of the Jewish forces, took up a collection man by man, and they so they're taking up money, right an amount of two thousand drachmas of silver and they send it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering in doing this, he acted very well and honorably, taking account of the resurrection for if they were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been surplus su, say that word
1: superfluous
0: yes. <laughs> Ugh. It's too big for me and foolish to pray for the dead, but he was looking to the splendid reward that is laid up for those who had fallen asleep in godliness. It was holy and a pious thought. Therefore, this is where they get it. Therefore he made atonement for the dead that they might be delivered from their sin. So he's saying the collection he took up was a good act, a good deed. (laughs) And it makes atonement. You know, they took this from the Apocrypha books, which, right. you know, they're not equal with the canon, you know, in authority to the Bible. That's where they pull that from. They pull it from Second, uh Maccabees chapter 12, and it's just not credible. So, No,
1: and why would you have to make atonement for someone's sin anyways, because did not Christ die on the cross and make atonement for everyone's sin?
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent point. When you, if you believe in purgatory you're saying exactly what what Jody just said you're saying that the laying his Jesus laying his life down on the cross wasn't enough to pay the debt right that he, you need more more is required it's sacrilegious
1: right I mean he died on the cross to for, to remit our sins too so why would there even again that's why I go back to I've never understood the idea of purgatory because why would you need at that point? to pay anything or to make any extra atonement at all.
0: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like we said earlier in this episode, uh, purgatory is kind of a (laughs) no-go. So I want to cover some scripture though, that revolves around the soul sleep doctrine. And remember soul sleep is that the physical body remains dust and the soul is in a state of unconsciousness, right? There's some scriptures. And when the Bible refers to a person as sleeping or falling asleep, it's just referring to death. Okay. And, and really nothing more. You can look at first Thessalonians and I'll let you do this on your own time. You know, four, 13, five, 10, first Corinthians 15, 16, verse 18 and 20, 51. I'm just listing these for those that want to look these up at home. Acts seven, verse 60, chapter 13 and 36, John 11, 11, Matthew nine, 24, 27 and 52. So when the Bible's talking about death as sleep, it's doing it in a metaphorical sense, okay? So let, let's right. just keep that in mind. John eleven eleven. 11, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. So people say, you know, he, he's sleeping when he's dead, and, and we're going to wake him up. That's, a, you know, in, right. in those that believe soul sleep is saying that they're in a state of unconsciousness. He goes on to say, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Jesus now Jesus had spoken of his death, and they thought he meant rest in sleep. And then verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, No, Lazarus has died. Some more verses that seem to say the dead do not have a conscience is Psalm 6:5, uh, 115 and 17, Ecclesiastes 9:10, Isaiah 38, 19. So let's take a look real quick at Psalm 115 and 17. It says, The dead do not praise the Lord nor do any who go down into silence. Verse 18, but he will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. So again, hermeneutics, right? Let's just real quick. One of the basic concepts of hermeneutics is what I learned years and years ago is context, context, context. 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 Yeah. In 17, if you just read 17 at face value, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do they go down into silence. But the very next verse, 18, says, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Forevermore. So that would imply that even when you're dead, you could be blessing the Lord because it says forevermore. And it shows that it is not simply restricting the praises to the Lord in verse 17 where it says the dead do not praise the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. It says the dead do not praise the lord in verse 18 it says we're going to praise the lord forevermore so you can't say that the dead don't praise the lord because the next verse in 18 says you will praise the lord forevermore right ecclesiastes 9 and 5 and and this is this is one of the sticking points for soul sleep doctrine and i and i'll explain a little bit here again it will be context 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 Ecclesiastes 9 5, for the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. This is where people think where it says the dead know nothing, that they are asleep, they are unconscious, and they are waiting, right? That's verse 5. So let's look at the context. Verse 4, the previous verse. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 4. There is hope only For the living. So the subject matter here is hope. Okay? Right. There is hope. That's the subject. Only for the living. Because if you're alive, you can still change. Right. Correct? So the subject matter is hope. That's important. As they say, it is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. Verse 5 that we read. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Verse 6, whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, it is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So hope is the subject of the conversation.
1: So it's not a matter of being asleep or not. It's a matter of once you're dead, there is no opportunity from that point forward to change to turn your life around.
0: Right. Verse five, or six, right? Whatever right. they did. It's so done. there's yeah. When it says the dead know nothing, it's saying they will no longer know love, like love of a lover or right. love of family. They will no longer hate people because they're not going to be attacked. They'll no longer envy. it. And, and he, he kind of brings it to a conclusion there in six, right? They no longer play a part in anything. anything. And that's when it's saying the dead know nothing. They no longer are relevant.
1: Right. They no longer play right. a part.
0: And we're not even done here. Verse 7 through 10, let's, let's, because we really want to drive this home. So the author goes on when he says the dead know nothing. He goes on. So go ahead, verse 7, eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart. For God approves of this. Wear fine clothes and splat with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is a reward for all your earthly toil. Verse 10, whatever you do, do well. He sums up exactly what he's saying here. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. So the context here seems to be pretty clear that when it says in verse 5, the dead know nothing, it is referring to they will know no more work. They will know no more planning. They will not have knowledge of any, or they will not grow anymore in knowledge or wisdom. For, like, you know, when you walk through low points in your life, you learn, right? Right. So you can can learn learn more wisdom. But there'll be no more wisdom because you're dead. So you're not going to be a part of that anymore
1: no more wearing that dracar
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's going way back
1: <laughs> I know <laughs> burberry <laughs> that's
0: a, yeah that's that's a, that's the late 90s there ecclesiastes 9 5 where it says the dead know nothing it is basically it, to sum this up it's saying when it says the dead know nothing that means the dead no longer play a part in anything right. on earth they no longer love you know, they no longer get mad. They no longer, you know, envy. They, they're, they're just not, you know, involved. Let's let's shift to soul awake. So this is, again, where the soul body goes to heaven and the physical body remains in dust. Let's look at some scriptures here. Luke 23, 43. And he said to them, you know, this is the Lord talking to the thief on the cross. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. If he was asleep... Or unconscious, we we already showed the scriptures that says paradise is in heaven. Right. So there's some explaining to do there. If you know, that, yeah. yeah. So Philippians one twenty one, Paul says, "For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell." I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be Be with with Christ. Christ. So if you're just going to be unconscious, you're not really going to be with the Lord, right? Right. So there's a struggle with this scripture if you're a soul sleep doctrine. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. So so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So this seems to show that, again, the soul can be separated, but the soul is the spirit, whatever. Again, that's why don't don't split hairs on soul, spirit. But it seems to say the soul can be absent from the body. And we also read, remember back, when Paul was said, he said, he said, I, I knew a man that went to the third third heaven. So he was saying his his soul went up. So there it showed that the soul can be separated from the body. And right. here in Second Corinthians. And to Corinthians, be separate
1: from the body is to be with the Lord. Right. Yeah.
0: Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and Jeru- heavenly Jerusalem. Heavy Jerusalem. Heavenly Jerusalem. <laughs> And to innumerable angels in festal, in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, hello, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. They're made perfect by the blood of the lamb, right? The spirits of the righteous in heaven here. It says to the assembly of the firstborn who are rolled in heaven and to God and to the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So it's to imply that the spirits of the righteous are there. And so let's look at when Paul was there with the stoning of Stephen. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So that means he died. Asleep is dying. He dies, but in his prayer, he says, Lord, receive my spirit. So he knew that his spirit would go go to the Lord and his body would fall asleep. Right. I mean, be dead. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, so awake is actually living on earth, and asleep is dead, dead, we might live with him. Mm -hmm. So we can live with him when we're alive by having the Holy Ghost in us. Right. And if we die, our physical body dies, and we're asleep, we still live with him because our soul our body soul. goes to heaven, right. to paradise, right? right? Revelation 6, 9. When he opened the fifth seal, now this is, this is pretty uh, um, exposing of some things. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, "O oh, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth?"
1: So their souls in heaven, while they're still living people on the earth,
0: and they're conscious because right. they know what happened to them, right? And, and they're they know who for did it, Lord. To... And they're having a discourse with the Lord,
1: right? I right. mean,
0: they they know. Yeah. It's not like they've lost their wisdom and their knowledge, right? When the dead know nothing. Right. Oh, these, these dead know a whole lot. Right. And they're talking to the Lord. And they're like, Lord, go avenge us. And, he, and the Lord, in verse 11, and they were each given a white robe. And told
1: to rest, yeah. Okay.
0: And told to rest a little longer. Why does a person who's unconscious need a white robe? Like, why are you dressing... Somebody who's, who's in a state of unconsciousness and asleep.
1: Well, and if you're in a state of unconsciousness, you're not conversing anyways.
0: Right. And let me just finish this verse because it's kind of cool. Until the number of fellow servants and their, and their brothers should be complete. Those are the ones that would be killed as themselves had been. So Revelations, it shows under the fifth seal that there are souls in heaven under the altar who are clearly conscious and awake. Right. And they are talking to the Lord, saying, "Avenge us!" And He tells them, "No, you're going to have to wait a little bit until the number is complete. You know, the martyrs right. the, are, are fulfilled. Right. He's, you know, and then He's going to do it." Psalm sixteen, nineteen. This is where we took the messianic prophecy in Acts that we read earlier. It says, "For you will not abandon my my soul in Sheol, or let your holy one see corruption." That's talking about, like we said, when Jesus died, He went down. His soul, his his presence was not. Committed to that place. Right. So he was able to ascend, but no man was able to ascend at that point, right? When Jesus descended, all those people, Abraham and everything, they're not, they didn't have the power to ascend, but Jesus no. did. So it's prophecy that Jesus will have the power to not be stuck in the heart of the earth, right? Sheol, that place. Ecclesiastes 12, 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, right? And the spirit. Returns to God who gave it. So dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Right. But it says the dust, the body, returns to the earth, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Notice, you know, the Bible's interchanging spirit and soul here. That's why I said don't don't get caught right. up on particular. Right. I was just going to
1: point that out. Spirit, yeah. soul. Yeah.
0: It's that's not what this podcast is. We're we're just trying to to lay out some scripture and show the picture the Bible paints of what happens when you die. Luke 9, 28, and I told you there's a lot of scripture in this, but we still got a lot more to go, and it's a longer podcast, and if you need to take a break, go ahead and hit that pause button, but we're going to continue on here. Luke 9, 28, about about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain, and he was praying the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes become dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. And they were glorious to see. And they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Let me point something out. When, when the disciples saw this, Elijah and Moses were glorious, right? That's what the Bible says, right? Right. right. Could that not be when that witch of Endor... Saw Samuel coming up. She said, I see God. I see God's arising. Right, right. Her interpretation was glorious. I mean, these are Peter's watching this and he sees the Mount of Transfiguration. Right. And he says, Moses and Elijah look glorious. Could that not be as, as gods? Right. Like, like they're so beautiful. That's what right. the first thing I want to point out. The second thing I want to point out this is Jesus who has not yet died and he's talking to Moses. And Elijah. Who have. Who have died. Right. So they're not asleep anywhere. They're not unconscious. They're having a discussion talking about future events.
1: Uh, Yeah. His his exodus, his crucifixion, and all of that, which hadn't happened yet.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is there's so there's amazing stuff from these stories that we, we so casually read over at times. Right. I mean, it's telling you if you, if we can pause and look at this, there's a wealth of knowledge and information here. So we know souls have a conscious, a conscience. In Abraham, rich man, Lazarus story, we see that. We we've, we've read those stories. We see that Jesus told the thief that he would be in paradise. We see souls have a conscience in Revelation six; they're the ones crying under the altar. Right. And we see Jesus in the transfiguration was talking. To two dead prophets who were righteous, Moses and Elijah. So they're not. So the soul awake doctrine for me is where I tend to believe, mm-hmm. and I know that there's some credence to the soul sleep, and I know that there might be some people that that's where you've been raised, and maybe that's where you believe, and mm-hmm. that's okay. I'm just trying to show you that it appears to me, at least. That the Bible lays out, if you're willing to look into these scriptures and study them and come at them from a non-biased
1: right, viewpoint, right, open mind,
0: that you know it, it it describes the soul before Calvary and the soul after the ascension of Jesus, and it appears to me that there is many places that show that we when we die. Our spirit will go to be in paradise, which is in heaven before the Lord. And we await the resurrection of our body. Now, I know that the hope is the resurrection, right? Right. Because even though our soul is before the Lord, we want to be complete. And God gave us a body. And that body is going to be changed, you know, say a glorified body, but it is a part of us. And until the resurrection happens and we are as we should be, right? You know, Bible talks a lot about
1: mm-hmm.
0: how we, we can't, we look to a glass darkly, but until we see the Lord face to face, then right. we'll be, right. we'll, we'll know ourselves as we're known in right. heaven. Right. That these are the things where like, when our body is reunited, we will finally be as God created us from the very beginning. We will be complete. In the eyes of the Lord, not just the soul, but it will be reunited with our physical body, but right. changed, obviously. Right. And that's what it appears to me. I do want to take a little bit of time here and just point out some things that are might be seem very simple, but you know, we only die here once on earth. Hebrews 9 27 says, And just and just as it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. So it's the will, of Lord, you know, you die and then you're going to the to judgment. Another go ahead.
1: So what would you say to the people that say, "Oh, you know, I died and saw the white light and everything and then I came back?"
0: I would say then that I understand what they mean that they died and then they 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 came back. I, I get what they're saying. I think when we use the scripture Hebrews 9:27 and where it says it's appointed for a man to die once That is talking about a finality where you're not, you know, maybe there was like an intermediate state where your, your soul, you know, like my wife, when she was a teenager, she had surgery Mm -mm. on her ankle Mm -hmm. and she'll tell you that they, I think she had an allergic reaction to the drugs and anesthetics and she was hovering in that operation room and was looking down at her body and the doctors and nurses she had an out-of-body experience, right. so you can see that the soul can separate, even though that body is there. And what I think happens, even though they might pronounce you dead and say, "Well, you know, heart was beating," maybe you are dead. Like Jesus, Jesus called Lazarus from the grave, right? And this isn't the Lazarus like, with the rich Jerry's man daughter, yeah. right? He 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 can revive people from the dead, and then they re-die again. And you're like, "Well, that's a second death." I understand that. That you're saying, okay, that's a second death as far as how many times the soul was separated from the body. But when it refers to it's appointed for a man to die once, it's talking about the finality of when your your earthly life and all that's planned, whether it's to come back and show a miracle, that you were revived from the dead, right? Like it's brother done and brother over. Jeff
1: Arnold or you know brother yeah. Stone King or you know
0: that wasn't his appointed time that to was, end his earthly right. existence.
1: That was more or less a way for the Lord to use him you know, use those men of God to
0: show his power. Absolutely. That That's, and again. Right. I, you know, but you know, there'll be people that'll be. Absolutely. That'll
1: say, well, it's, I know no, somebody it's who died. It's
0: a great question. Right. It, and, and I love challenging these. And I'm not saying I got the best answer for that, but these are right. things that we ask these are things our children ask these are right genesis 319 our our physical body will return to the earth genesis 319 says by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return psalm 146 verse 4 when his breath departs he returns to the earth and on the very day his plans perish so there's some scripture showing look your body is going to go back to the earth Um, you know, you're going to die once and your earth's going to go back. Um, I do want to show this, you know, our earthly body will be changed and transformed to be like Jesus's glorious body. Philippians three 20, but our citizenship is in heaven for from it. We await a savior, the Lord Jesus, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body. That's our earthly physical body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So there's going to be a transformation of our physical body. And that's going to happen at the resurrection, or not, I'm sorry, not the resurrection, but yes, the resurrection, but it's going to happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes, our lowly body will be transformed into a glorious body. And that is when the reunification comes between our spirit and soul.
1: Okay. So another question, um, there is, there has been some debate on, you know, here the, we just read these scriptures where, you know, our earthly body will be changed. Our lowly body is going to be transformed sure. to be like the Lord's. So there has been debate that, you know, on the issue of cremation, Ah, uh, yeah, you know, if cremation is biblical, non-biblical, you know, with in relation to this, these scriptures we just read about how our earthly body is going to be changed, and if you're cremated, you don't really have an earthly body anymore, be because you have you've basically been burned to ash. So, what are your? I mean, what would what would you say to
0: that? First, I would. I'm going to give some technical answers according to the Bible that I believe that it is better to not be cremated, that it is a better choice to not. And there's verses like when the children of Israel left Egypt, you know, they took Joseph's bones with him. And you can see where the bones of, I believe it was Elisha, that when a man fell into his grave and touched the bones of Elisha, he was healed. So the bones after his death did another miracle. And that was actually like the miracle that counted to equate to double the portion of his mentor, Elijah. But I don't find any exact scriptures that imply or even come close to saying you should not cremate the body. I know that that was the acts of the pagans. And again, let me go back to what I said when I opened up this response I don't encourage cremation. Right. However, to say that if you are cremated, you sin. That's a stretch.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Um, that's where I think I would be careful in saying that. Right. You can say it's unwise to cremate. It's unwise to want your body cremated, but I don't think it's an actual sin. So therefore, I'm not going to be cremated because, you know, I want to do things the way I think God would like. Right. But just because, you know, you gotta you leave room for personalities and things like that. Right. So I can't say that it's sin, um, to the thought process that if you cremate a body, the fire burns it up and it no longer exists. It's to me, it's no different if you get your leg cut off or your arm cut off, right? And you don't know what happened or... to that, and you're you're buried, right. you're buried, you're <laughs> you know, as a peg leg or you know, one-handed, you know, man or woman. You're probably
1: not going to have that right. stick. in So heaven. like when
0: you're res- or, or what happens if you die in a fire and your body is burned? Yeah, or, that's very true. What happens yeah. if you die at sea? And and whales and, and sea turtles and, and you right. know panfish pick you apart and you know your body We're incinerated
1: so a, in a nuclear blast. Yeah, it's the
0: same concept <laughs> where where the body can die, but do not limit the God for one, God for right. one second and say he can't pull out the atoms or the molecule. You know, your your right. physical form right. is still out there. Because right. I mean I'm no well, he scientist here, but right. I think you can't like Make matter disappear, if I understand a little bit, right? So it exists in some form or manner, and my God is able to pull back your body and put it together in a glorious form. Yeah. So my answer is, I would not encourage cremation, but the day and age we live in, it, as a pastor especially, families in financial trouble, and sometimes not trouble, but just financially not right. not able to do a, a a casket in a funeral. I understand some of that. And right. I have empathy. And again, there, I know there's ways around it. You can raise money in church. Now, I understand all that. But sometimes families are just in a broken state, in a state of mourning. And right. the last thing they want to hear is that they're sinning by cremating a loved one where I can't say that that's sin. Right. It's just unwise. So you got to be careful of making something a sin when it's not when it's really not. sin.
1: Right. Right.
0: You can counsel against it. All right. So yeah. hopefully I.
1: No. Yeah. Yeah. You did. I, I, Cremation is often a hot topic sometimes. Sure. With, and
0: and understandably. And I get both sides of it. We just right. have to be careful with saying something is the word of God and sin versus... Right. It's right. like the scripture that says, you know, all things are... Lawful and expedient. Lawful, but might not be expedient for us. Right. So just because we can do everything doesn't mean we probably should.
1: Right, right.
0: Okay, so... All right. So we're we're kind of nearing an end here, but I, I do want to cover a couple more verses before we get out of here because we've talked about where we where do we go and what happens to us when we die, but it's important to talk a little bit about the resurrection too, because that is the hope. That is what we're looking for. Right. And the resurrection of the second, you know, is at the second coming of Christ. That's when the Lord is going to return to this earth. Matthew 22, 31. It says, And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God I am God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob he is not the living or he is not God of the dead but of the living so the lord is God of the living so we're not going whether your soul sleep or your soul awake he's not going to leave is in a dead state because right. we are to live with God forever and we know that our body and our soul will be resurrected at his return and we will forever reign with the Lord and be with him. John 5, 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. So they're going to live. Skipping down to verse uh, 28. Do not marvel for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. At the resurrection of the dead, when it's all done, said and done, the righteous are going to be rejoined with their bodies and the unrighteous, they're going to be resurrected, but to a place of judgment. judgment. Yep. Acts 24, 15, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. A couple more here, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that's those that were dead, that you might not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring to him those who have fallen asleep. 1 Thessalonians 4.15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Again, asleep means dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first that's where I believe the soul body and the physical body will reunite in the meet resurrection again. yep, in a glorious form. Then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. So this event of the Lord returning and the resurrection or the, the rapture, you know, if you're alive, um, should be a hope for us. Right. Should be what we look forward to. And finally, in closing, one last portion of scripture, and there's many we could still cover, but for time's sake, because we're we're going on about a, almost an hour and a half here. Um, <laughs> and I know, we like we said, we warned you, it was going to be a long <laughs> one. But uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable. Put or inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that means die, but we shall all be changed. That means the living and the dead. Right. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, that's those who are sleeping, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And I think that's a good verse to end on, that the death that those before us have experienced, and maybe someday we will experience too. Mm-hmm. When it's when it's all done, it's going to be swallowed up in the victory in Jesus Christ, our Savior, yeah. our Lord, our our Redeemer, the one who gave His life on the cross. Jody, is there anything we you want to hit before we get out of here? Anything we we need to talk about, clarify?
1: No, no. I think this has been an excellent topic because it's something. That I think a lot of people have varied thoughts about, and maybe you're afraid to ask because you don't want to look dumb, <laughs> you know. Or, you know, I understand, and it's it's it is a very important topic, it's not just an interesting one, but it is a very important topic to understand. You know, I think it's been great,
0: yeah. Well, I enjoyed doing the research, I enjoyed studying this. Um, mm-hmm. there's it's shocking to me, really. How many people love the Lord and, and have been serving him a long time and really haven't took the time to break down, you know, what happens when we die?
1: Right. So to really stop and think about it. Yeah. yeah
0: I, I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I hope everyone's enjoyed this. I know I've enjoyed it and it, it's glad I'm, I'm really happy and excited and, and glad to be back. And uh, I'll let Jody take us out of here.
1: Well, we are so glad that you joined us for this episode six of our podcast, Apostolic and Thesis. We hope you have enjoyed it as much as we have enjoyed delivering it. Um, And check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms and subscribe if you haven't already. We hope that you have. If you haven't, go ahead and subscribe to us. We look forward to the next episode.